My name's Alan Burks. I'm the editor of MinnesotaPlaylist.com. We decided to gather together six notable Twin Cities directors. I'm Jeremy Cohen. My name is Leah Cooper. Ben McGovern. I'm Noel Raymond. I'm Dominic Taylor. My name is John Ferguson. And see what happens when they compare notes about their process. So we, we talked about process and craft and all of that stuff, but ultimately you're theater makers, you make theater. So can you just think of, I'm sure there's a million, but can you think of something you've made, a moment that, you can, that you've made that you're super proud of and just describe what it is you like about that moment? <laughs> just pick one. I, actually, um, one of my favorite moments is, uh, it was the beginning of this show I did in the studio called The Edge of Our Bodies. And it was a solo show and the actress playing the role is on, it's more or less a solo show, and the actress playing the role is on stage uh, for the whole pre-show. She's just sitting there. And we didn't know how to start the show because she, she, just, she starts by just speaking and she's reading. So we needed an event to get the show started. But I don't, I hate blackouts. I hate the whole thing that, you know, the whole mechanism saying, now we are starting the show. Turn off your phones. Everyone relax. You're no longer in the real world. You're in the theater. So just be in a different... I like to just find ourselves in the play. So... Um, uh, I have to mention, because it, it was Andrew Mayer was the sound designer, and he just did this brilliantly, designed this um, this event in the theater for the pre-show that you think is just a, a blower, AC, or something. And it gets slowly louder throughout the, the pre-show, so that people are speaking more loudly at their conversation, pre-show conversations. And then the beginning of the show was just a click, and the air went off. And it's... we. Essentially, we manufacture that moment that always happens when there's a lull in music in restaurants where mm -hmm. everyone just stops talking for a second to see what happened. Mm -hmm. And it worked every night. <laughs> and every night That's there was cool. just no one, in fact, on opening night, someone just, someone went, there was a click, everyone went silent, and some, silent, someone said, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and then we, and she just had to start reading. So I loved that moment because of the way that it allowed the audience to suddenly find themselves in this room with this character. That's great. I have two. I'll go. Um, so one of them was the very last moment of Far Away, when uh, you know the world has literally kind of collapsed, and it's the last two the two characters who are left, kind of embracing one another, and the brilliant lighting designer that I mentioned before, whose name I will not speak again. <laughs> Mike Wongen created this moment where the lights like zeroed in on them and then went out, but there was this ghost effect. So it felt like their very, their image and the, the way that they were clasping each other was imprinted on the darkness. Like you could oh. see it for a minute and then it felt like everybody was in kind of a, an echo chamber. or And it was, the whole play added up to that moment so it was really earned but it was also just beautiful and then everybody uh, every night this everybody just sat after the lights came back up people just didn't know what to do it took people a long time to get up so that and then um flying the angel when we did angels in america at pillsbury house theater with no fly system and no uh wing space so we actually suspended jamila from um from the ceiling and dropped everything else so it felt like she went up <laughs> and that was one of those moments where every the the ingenuity of everybody in the room to create and, and we waited the curtain so there was a huge crash and then she was revealed there that was a super cool moment
I'm very unexpected, especially because of the space. Hmm. I have two. It's <clears throat> funny, everybody's mentioning design. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mine too yeah. as well. Um, it's funny, the, one, the first one I was thinking of even before, Ben, before you described your moment, and it's so similar. Um, it was in a solo show, The Things I Carried, and there's this moment where the soldier is reliving the moment in which he uh, killed somebody for the first time. And we, and it's, it's told very flashbacky, uh, and it's just a solo show. Uh, so, so just creating that moment of him remembering and making it about uh, what his memory keeps now versus a strict reliving of the moment um, was tricky in a lot of different ways. And I remember talking with a sound designer, Martin Gwynep, I said, there needs to be a sound under here, but it can't be literal. And it... It also it needs to create a certain tension, but it can't just be about creating tension because now for him the memory is no longer just about it was tense and it was scary. It's it's colored by all these years of realizing he killed a young man, and Martin found the perfect piece of music that that was Southeast Asian in origin, and it, that he'd already sort of set up earlier in the play to connect to the people in this place where this soldier was in Vietnam. And he played it at just such a level, it was just the right chunk of music. And I remember we played with all different things until we landed on this one. It was just the right chunk of music that it, I don't know, I felt like I watched people watch this moment. And you could see the moment when the, the, the string instrument reached its, its arc. And you could see that was the moment when everybody felt the emotion most strongly. Mm -hmm. But afterwards, anytime I asked somebody I knew, what did you think of the moment? What did you think of the music underneath? Nobody was ever aware there was music mm -hmm. underneath. Uh, they would always yeah. say, there was music. I didn't think there was any sound whatsoever. Yeah. And I loved that that subtlety and yet very emotionally manipulative moments. Right. Um, and then the other one was the, the end of uh, Behind the Eye, which was um, when Lee Miller's character uh, is, is, she's dying. She's, um, it's the moment of her death. And, and, and the play has set up this idea of sandstorms and all these different sandstorms in her memory. And again, the lighting designer and the sound designer and the video projection artist and the actress all kind of had to come together to create this moment in which she's looking up into a beam of light, but the beam of light is so golden, and the, and the sandstorm is projected onto the front of her, and so it's moving, and it's gold, and behind her is gold, and, and what happens is it, without us dropping any darn sand on stage, we created the sense of a sandstorm swirling around her, and she was dressed in just the right costume that she just sort of disappeared into it. She became gold, mm -hmm. and the timing of the sound had to correspond just perfectly with Annie Anking, the actress, taking in a deep breath and then exhaling it and finding exactly the right blackout so that the the exhale and the blackout didn't say she went away, but she became gold. You know, somehow bringing all those elements together. And when we filed, I mean, you know, that was like two hours of tech at least. Yeah. Right. And four hours of meeting time, you know. But when we nailed it, it was like that. That. And it's still worth yeah. every single element to that story. Now, I, there are like a lot of them, but I'm only going to pick up one. There's this show we did, it's actually written by Kelly Garrett, and it's called Destiny. It's actually the third part of her play, and we did it in New York. And uh, long story short, it happens in Destiny. A uh, young man named Azul is, is thrown off a building, and another man is captured and, and hung upside down as a terrorist, and the mayor is, is implicated, and all this stuff is going on, and, and it's... Uh, thrust space and the mayor is on stage and he's about to be implicated again by the deacon and uh, the de uh, Will was, uh, oh god I can't remember Will's last name, but Dion Grant played the deacon and it was just, it's just a small moment but it was actually wonderful. So the mayor's on stage and the audience has been paying all attention to this thrust space and Dion Grant has a line, he says, and the man say, and he turns on a practical light that's in the house and it just ruptured and everybody started to laugh and I was like 
that did exactly what I wanted it to do at that moment. Because everything was getting really, really heavy. And this was a really heavy moment, and somebody had died, and all this other kind of stuff. And then Dion, when he hit that practical light, and you just saw his face, it was like the glow. And he was with us in the audience. It just did this rupturing thing, and people started laughing. And then he comes down the aisle, and he implicates the mayor in this real kind of sermon moment. But it's actually that practical light, which I was like, Sebastian, the lighting designer, said, because we were trying to figure out how to light him in the house. He said, just let him turn on a lamp. And I said, turn on a lamp. And he literally did it. And I was like, that was just one of those moments where it just, it just shifted the audience's understanding of what was happening. Because Kelly's work is, is like really heavy and political and all this stuff, but it, it has this light thing on, it's inside it that you can miss. And I just thought it was like one of these moments where the audience just came with us again. Because they'll be with you at the beginning of the play, and then after a while they're like heavy, 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 and it just brought us back. I just, I just thought it was very cool. Made me happy. <laughs> That's all you want. So. Well, um, <clears throat> overall, there are moments where <clears throat> I have a complex idea of how to do something, and then what comes through the process of uh, figuring out that we don't have money to do that, <laughs> that we don't have time to do that, um, there comes a solution from the room or from me or from the moment <clears throat> that is very simple and the most magical way of doing it and the most inventive and the most, hey, audience, here's how we're doing it. And they accept that. So overall, lots of things like that. But recently, um, on my recent production of The Nature Crown, uh, one of the first things I did in rehearsal was to just have people move around the space together, have like people who I thought kind of went together. Like these two people, they go together. They look like they're, they're a pair somehow. I don't know why. I had these two guys just moving through the space and had them running through the space in unison and changing direction and changing rhythms. And then I shouted to them, <clears throat> become trees. And they suddenly became trees, and then become human. And this is all kind of in this natural world of the play. And um, that it was, it was so ripe for them as actors, and it was so ripe for their 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 spirits as human beings. Um, and in that moment, we decided that you know they're called Trevor and Jeffrey, and they are these boys that have the power to become trees and bushes and stones and rocks. And so that's pretty much all those guys did in the play. They came into the, like, in the final production, they were in the show maybe five times, and they do take their, they, they help their sister transform into the moon, and, um, but through the, through the rest of the process, uh, that's mostly what they did in the show, and, you know, the actors were getting to a point where they were, like, going, we're gonna, is this gonna work, uh, is this all we're doing, and, uh, and, like, trust me, that is gonna work, it's gonna work, it's really, really beautiful, that's one of the strongest images we had from the development process, it's really beautiful, and we have to trust that it's just going to work. We don't know why, but it just is. And it, it, it turned out that it was probably probably the most memorable thing in the play, is these, 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 these boys that trans, like run into the woods and go deeper and deeper. And the further they go, the more they transform. And the whole play was about transformation and, and impermanence. And, um, and ultimately we learned that those two boys represent that, that, that overarching theme of they transform more than anybody. And it was something that just came out of how they looked and how they moved together and an impulse for me to shout that out in the room and then me just holding them up saying keep doing this trust me please keep doing this because when because it's so beautiful keep trust and so I was really proud of that that in that play I think I just want to say oh my god that was so funny every single time that happened but partly what was so beautiful in hearing it's so it's, it's a little gift to like learn someone's process about it is that what I loved is I would watch them 
and they were going on stage, they didn't just sort of do it from stasis. They would always be moving, and so like they'd be moving and moving, and then they would like turn, and then the thing would happen. And so literally, you were watching a transformation happen out of movement rather than out of stillness. It was super. It originally came by, you know, they were running, and I said, trees, now, yeah. come trees. That's, <laughs> what, was, like, that's what it was so on stage. Funny. And we, so I'm just so glad that we just held tight to that. Sometimes you've got to really hold tight to things you believe in, and sometimes you've got to let them go. Mm -hmm. you know? cool. Okay, so with I Am My Own Wife, I couldn't get into the play. I couldn't put the wimple on that actor. I couldn't do any of the things that are the reason someone would program that play. And so I called him and I said, and, and this actor, so I cast an actor who I knew had a relationship with the writer originally as well. They had done a, some other stuff together. And I was like, so we're not doing it on the moon, don't worry about it, but um, I'm really interested in the role of the character of you in the play. And I just would like to explore that that is interesting. Right, we, keep, we, we all keep using the word moment, and I think we all talk about like beginnings or the end moments of plays, right? Those, those great things. And for me, it writes as we're saying, it's a coming full circle, how do we enter the story? And I, so, so, so really it was a very similar thing, this beautiful, beautiful thing, uh, the piece that Ben was talking about, which was extraordinary to watch and to respond. It was very weird. I remember watching, it was very weird. I, I had a very visceral response to it in a very powerful way. Um, how do we shift the room? And, and so for us, it was a lot about just having that actor on stage typing and typing and typing as the audience was there. And he was just typing and he was kind of cussing and not making much of himself and kind of throwing stuff away and deleting stuff on his laptop. And, and then ultimately the show kind of just started and it sort of started because this music was sort of starting and he walked over to this, this weird thing in the floor and there were just these cracks coming through, really thin cracks in the, the wood part of the floor and he sort of just figured and kind of opened it up and then out of it kind of pulled the story and kind of figured it out because of how the how the play actually begins and how he sort of meets this this short life on stuff. So that was that.